0: Welcome to the podcast where we answer the question, that's healthy? This is your host, Hope Brandt. Social media has really done a doozy on our perception of health and wellness, and I want to help set the record straight. Quick fixes and fad diets? Unachievable beauty standards? Extreme fitness challenges that leave you more broken than when you started? I'll pass. Taking ownership of your choices, treating your body and mind with respect— filling your life with things and people that lift you up instead of tear you down. Yeah, that's healthy. And that's exactly what you'll find here. Let's start the show. Hello, and welcome back to That's Healthy. I am so happy to be back after my brief hiatus (laughs) for my maternity leave. So, Things are not completely settled down over here. MK is four weeks old this week when I'm recording this podcast, but this is going to be an episode all about her birth story, kind of what I was envisioning leading up to um, her birth, what ended up happening (laughs) or not happening, and just kind of some things that I wish I would have known before going through pregnancy and her birth, which, I mean, honestly, I think some of the things that I wish I would have known would be impossible to know until you go through the experience. So I definitely don't have any regrets looking back. Everything went I think as well as it could have gone. And I have no, truly no bad feelings about anything that happened (laughs) during my pregnancy or during her birth. And I feel very blessed and lucky that that's the case. But I do think a big part of that was going into her birth without a whole lot of stipulations for how I wanted it to go. I knew that things in all reality, we're probably going to get wonky at some point. And even if I had this detailed plan of how I wanted her birth to go, it wouldn't go that way. And I was totally okay with that. So, and I had addressed this a couple times on stories with getting some questions in a question box, you know, like, how do you envision her birth? Or are you going to try to do an all natural birth or, you know, things like that. And the only goal that I had going into her birth was that I felt in control of my decision-making and I felt like people were respecting my choices. And that is exactly what happened. And I felt very informed and empowered And like I was doing the best thing for myself and for Mary-Kate the entire time. And that's really all I could ask for. So let's kind of get into her actual birth story. (laughs) So if you have followed me on Instagram, you know that I went almost two weeks past term. Her due date was June 8th and we hit that day with absolutely no sign of going in to labor anytime soon. I went in for my 40 week OB appointment and she I had her check to see how dilated I was and I was one centimeter dilated and I had been at that point since 36 weeks. So there was no movement. There was no sign of labor even Just things that I could observe, you know. Um, I wasn't feeling any more intense contractions. I mean, I was feeling like very mild Braxton Hicks contractions very irregularly. Those had not changed literally since I started or headed into my third trimester. So, again, nothing was pointing to my body or Mary Kate being ready to go into labor. So, after that 40 week appointment, We decided to continue to wait it out, and truly I had, and I had said all along during my pregnancy that I expected to go over my due date, because that's pretty typical, especially for first-time pregnancies. So hitting my due date, going over that, um, was something that I expected. It didn't make it any easier, because by that point, I was so over being pregnant. I thought people were exaggerating a lot of the time, but I literally couldn't bend over to put my shoes on without it feeling like a marathon. Everything was so cramped. It was so hard to move around. I felt so swollen. My ankles, my hands. That might have been one of the most uncomfortable parts of getting (laughs) into late pregnancy was how swollen I felt the whole time. But like I said, I expected to go over her due date. Um, what I did not expect was to go weeks over <laughs> her due date. My goal for her birth, and I talked extensively with my doctor about this, was to just enter into it with the goal of being as low intervention as possible. I wanted to try to avoid an induction if at all possible. And I was very confident that my body you know, if I waited it out, I would go into labor naturally when it was supposed to happen. I've never had a problem trusting my body and trusting that it knows what it needs to do. So it really felt like a betrayal of my body to reach 41 weeks and even days past that and not be seeing any signs of labor. Um, It felt like my body did not know what to do. It felt like a literal (laughs) betrayal of my trust in my body, which sounds so odd, but it was such a difficult time. More so for that reason. Like, yes, I was uncomfortable physically. I was ready to meet my daughter And those things made it hard to wait. But the biggest thing was the just overall disappointment in my body because it felt like it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. I felt very defeated and very literally like broken at that point. Not like emotionally broken, but it felt like my body was physically broken because it was not going to labor. And you know, it wasn't just a little time past my due date. I was, (laughs) I was past 41 weeks. So at that point, you know, I had gone back in for an ultrasound at my 41 week appointment. And I remember (laughs) the ultrasound tech, when we were looking at MK, her last ultrasound in the womb, she said, "Oh my goodness, she has chubby cheeks. She has lots of hair. She has long legs." And I said, "I bet she does have chubby cheeks." She's been in there for freaking 41 weeks, like she is fat and happy, living large, showing no signs of wanting to come out. And I I mean, I was literally feeling kind of annoyed and aggravated with her, too, because it was like, "Get out." <laughs> I've done my job. I've carried you for 41 weeks at this point. You know, it's time for this thing to happen. So it was really just a mix of emotions at that point. And again, the one thing that I had wanted to avoid the whole time was just being induced. Um, I'd heard a lot of stories from my friends and acquaintances about how difficult labor was after their induction you know, just painful and very extended. And I wanted to avoid that if at all possible. So by this time and by the time we went back in for that 40 week, 41 week appointment to kind of just check how everything was going, make sure that we didn't need to, you know, schedule some type of emergency induction or procedure or anything. We saw that she was, you know, everything was cool. She was just chilling. Fluid levels were normal. There was still no indication that an immediate induction was necessary. So I left that appointment in all hopes that she would come naturally. And if I could just give her a few more days, things would happen. I was still trying to have faith and have confidence in that at that point. But once I hit about, or I guess it was two to three days after that point with again, no signs of labor at all being present. I reached the point of being ready to schedule an induction on the 42-week date if she had not come at that point. So um, I called my doctor. We set an induction date for June 22nd on that Thursday um, because that would have been my exact 42-week date. So I was really, I really wanted to wait until 42 weeks to give her every chance (laughs) to come on her own. So we scheduled that date. We all felt good about it. We called both sets of our parents to let them know, you know, if she doesn't come before then, which at that point I was losing any hope that she would then, you know, made plans for everybody to be there on the 22nd. And kind of just marked it down as as the plan moving forward and of course <laughs> nothing ever goes to plan right <laughs> so you know i remember in the couple days or the few days before we've really like i just got the biggest nesting instincts we've like literally washed our couch <laughs> cushions i was cleaning the walls just getting everything really ready for her to be in the house, but also for, you know, our parents to come and stay. Um, That was the most (laughs) intensive house cleaning I have ever done. (laughs) So with the induction scheduled for the 22nd, that's what what we were planning on. However, (laughs) on the morning of the 20th, Um, I woke up, got out of bed and there was a trickle of fluid running down my leg, which had never happened before, but I, you know, didn't get too excited. I didn't get super excited. I just kind of waited it out to see, you know, if fluid would continue leaking or or what that looks like. So, you know, I just continued to kind of go about my day. It was about nine 30 in the morning when I noticed that trickled down my leg. And then I continued to kind of leak fluid from that point to the point where it was like noticeable. So I called one of my best friends from high school, who's a labor and delivery nurse, who has helped me throughout my pregnancy with just knowing what to expect, lending a listening ear in solidarity when things got really difficult, her name's Molly. So I called Molly and I said, malls, I think my water has broken. I'm not really sure. And so I kind of described everything to her and asked her what she thought I should do. So we had, Oh, we had scheduled the induction for the 22nd, but they didn't have any days available. So it was actually going to happen on the 21st. <laughs> so the day before I was supposed to go in and I was scheduled to go in at like five in the morning. So, you know, my water broke the day before at nine 30 and I was already scheduled to go in that next morning at 5 AM. And so I was talking to her and I was like, should I like, I feel like I would, (laughs) I just want to wait to go into my like scheduled appointment. Is there any benefit of like going in now? Because I'm not feeling any contractions. I'm not feeling anything different. I think my water my water breaking is the only indication of labor. And she said, well, you know, it's, it's not recommended. It's not really good to wait longer than 12 hours after your water is broken to start labor. You know, it just, that water sac is kind of your body's last defense against infection, reaching the baby, like external infection or bacteria reaching the baby. So, If that's not intact anymore, your risk of infection is just, you know, continuing to rise from that point. So she said, you know, I would, yeah, like I would go in and tell them what happened and they'll probably just keep you (laughs) because you were scheduled for the morning anyway. So we got all of our stuff together, which, you know, luckily we were already planning to go in the morning. So things were already basically in order the few days before is when Tulsa had those terrible storms blow through so our original plan was to go to get a hotel room and to bring Tobias with us our dog and David's parents would then come stay in that room and take care of Tobias um so we didn't have to leave him at home or you know like have to ask anybody to come watch him. Um, we were just going to bring him with us and, you know, get hotel rooms for our parents to all stay that night when she was born. You know, we would stay in Tulsa. That's where our hospital is. And then we would all go back to Tahlequah when we were discharged. However, there were absolutely zero hotels, Airbnbs, li- anything available in Tulsa because everybody's power was out. And so, Any hotels that did have power, residents, Tulsa residents were already there. And or, you know, obviously, if they did not have power, they weren't capable of taking or booking rooms. So that definitely threw a wrench in our plans. We were not able (laughs) to bring Tobias with us. We had a friend come over and, you know, have to let him out. But that was that was kind of stressful at the time, because you know that had been our plan. We felt really solid about it, and then you know, the day before as we're trying to book hotel rooms, there's nothing available, and <laughs> all of those plans also went out the window. But ultimately, we got our stuff together, showed up at the hospital at around five p m that night, so My water broke at 9.30 a.m. on the day before I was scheduled to go in for the induction. I did not have any contractions or any other signs of labor. I did have a little bit of bloody show around 4 p.m., and that was right before we left to go to the hospital, so sorry if that's TMI. But, you know, I didn't know what any of this stuff was, (laughs) and I just... I found it really helpful to hear details and read details about other people's experience. So so anyway, that happened around four. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, actually, this might be happening. Like, there's a an additional sign of labor. And that made me really happy. Because again, the hardest part was feeling like my body was broken and it didn't know what to do. So seeing these signs of natural labor that my water broke, that there was some bloody show. It really made me feel like this was the time that she was supposed to be born. Even though we had set (laughs) that induction date um, and it was going to happen anyway, (laughs) this just made me feel better about it, that the timing was right, that my body was ready, that she was ready, that there were some signs of natural labor. And I think that made all the difference heading into it and being able to feel confident that you know this was the time that it was supposed to happen. So we went to the hospital and went to the labor and delivery unit and said, you know, I am scheduled for an induction at 5 a.m. And they sent us back to the labor and delivery ER because it wasn't our induction time. So they were like, okay, well you're gonna have to go through the ER. So we went down there and the nurses verified that my water had actually broken they did a couple of tests by like swabbing down there and verifying that it was amniotic fluid and that my water had broken however <laughs> i was no further dilated um my cervix was not ripe at all and you know labor was not progressing at that point which I already knew because I was not feeling any contractions or any other (laughs) signs of labor. So the initial things had kind of happened, but labor was not progressing at all. So we kind of hung out in the ER for a little while, just, you know, waiting for them to verify that my water did, in fact, break. And then kind of waiting to hear what would happen from there. We were also watching the LSU Baseball game at that time. It was the national championship tournament that was happening in Omaha. So we'll kind of always remember her birth with watching the LSU game. And then a few days later, they ended up winning the College World Series. So that's just kind of a fun thing that we can always remember during her first, during her birth and her first few days of life. But anyway, so once they verify that my water had broken, they were going to send me back to the labor and delivery unit to start the induction process. So it was supposed to start at 5 a.m. Um, my water <laughs> broke earlier. So we basically just pushed up uh, the induction time. And uh, I mean, I I think I could have asked if I could wait to see if my body would, would go into natural labor, but I had no interest in doing that and it was already getting to the point of you know being hours past my water breaking. So I was ready to get things started and my body was not progressing labor from that point. So it I needed some help to get things going. So we were admitted to the labor and delivery unit around 6:30-ish that evening and kind of made a plan and got some information about what the induction process was going to look like going from there. So we started, and I'm literally, I'm reading a note off of my phone because as things were happening, (laughs) I was documenting it because I didn't want to forget um, how things progressed and what happened. So at 7.40 p.m., I had my first dose of misopropatol and the nurse was just calling it miso. So that's, that's what I'll say. It's a little easier to say. <laughs> so that is a drug that helps your cervix ripen. Um, so it's like a prerequisite to active labor, essentially. So obviously I needed that help in Progressing labor in that way. So, there's a couple different ways I think that that drug can be administered. Um, One is vaginally, where they like place it in up in there. (laughs) And then one is taken orally by mouth. So, I had the pill. And I remember it was so funny when she came with the first dose, I was expecting, you know, like a substantial pill. And it's super, super tiny. It was like half the size of my pinky nail, like very, very small. If you've ever taken like Sudafed for your allergies, it was like smaller than one of those pills. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's so small!" But it was potent, let me tell you. So that's kind of like like part one of the labor and birth story is you know setting an induction date, actually having my water break, and going to labor naturally heading to the hospital labor is not progressing and we decide to you know start the induction process and getting that first dose of miso so um that was at about 7:40 p.m. and literally 10 minutes later i was feeling contractions um i was amazed at how quickly it worked so that first dose really induced some some i would say mild to moderate contractions David and I, after the baseball game was over <laughs> we we watched like old seasons of Big Brother <laughs> just because we liked to and we hadn't you know we started watching it later on, and there were a bunch of seasons that we hadn't seen, so we will just like go back and watch an old season. so we were watching an old season of Big Brother, and we were watching those episodes all through. Kind of that first stage of labor with those very mild to moderate contractions. And it was really interesting. I was, I was worried when I was waiting to go into labor in the weeks leading up to setting the induction date. Um, I was worried that I wouldn't know what labor felt like or what contractions felt like, um, and that I would miss it. And, you know, then I would be in like super active labor before I realized what was happening. And I don't think that (laughs) could ever be the case. So if you're listening to that and you're, you know, you have those worries and I think it's normal to have, you know, those anxious thoughts, it was very noticeable and they were very timely. So you would, you know, feel the contraction, which felt like a, a tightening in my belly and then it would dissipate and... You know, the next one would come a few minutes later. So it was very noticeable when it was happening, even though, you know, it wasn't super painful yet. (laughs) It was noticeable and it was in a pattern and it felt very different than the Braxton Hicks contractions that I had been experiencing, Um, you know, which were just kind of like one wave of like light of one light contraction. And then it goes away and nothing happens past that point. This is like a noticeable tightening and cramping, and then it goes away and, you know, it follows that pattern. So anyway, I thought to myself, you know, if this was happening naturally, there's no way that I would miss it. Um, It would be very clear that this is what early labor felt like. At 11.40 p.m., the nurse came back in and gave me my second dose of miso, and that's when things... (laughs) really started to pick up. And again, within, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of getting that second dose, the contractions really started getting a lot more intense and progressed to the point of being extremely, extremely painful. So that was from about midnight to... 3 or 4 a.m. I was experiencing those absolutely horrendous contractions where I mean I was I was trying to breathe. I remember counting in through the contraction, breathing in for four counts and then breathing out for eight counts. And if I went through that pattern three times, that was the length of the contraction. And so all I would think about was just counting You know, in four, out eight, and doing that three times, and knowing that if I could just keep my mind occupied on that, then that contraction would have passed. But it got to the point where it was absolutely excruciating. And around three or four a.m., I mean, it was to the point of like I was not able to be quiet (laughs) anymore. I was yelling and groaning and screaming, which it sounds dramatic <laughs> but i'm not one to be super dramatic in that way and honestly i cry easily and i wasn't crying so i mean i'm i'm not saying i'm not emotional i know that i i am emotional but i'm also tough and truly like i i know how to push through discomfort I'm okay with being uncomfortable and, and being able to push through moments like that. I don't think that I have a very low pain tolerance. And this was absolutely excruciating. So around 3 or 4 a.m., the nurse, she came back in. And, you know, it still wasn't even considered active labor at that point because my contractions were still pretty spaced out. And so I looked at her. and I was like, this isn't even like as intense as it's going to get. is it? And she was like, no, like you're not, we're not even to the point of active labor yet. And I could have died at that moment. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I, I can't do this for the next however many hours, you know, could be up to 12 hours, could be more than that. It just wasn't going to happen. And, uh, I was okay with that because I was in so much pain at that point that I couldn't think of anything else. So that was around 3 to 4 a.m. where, you know, I thought to myself, okay, I've labored, I know what this feels like, and I'm ready to make some sort of intervention at this point. So we decided to go ahead and put an order in for an epidural. And as it just so happens, not only were there a few patients ahead of me, there was also an emergency situation where I think multiple anesthesiologists were needed. There was a a car accident with a woman who was pregnant that night. And so a lot of people were occupied by that emergency um, and things that needed to be done. So Even though we put in an order (laughs) around 4 a.m. for an epidural, the anesthesiologist didn't end up coming to my room until about 7 a.m. that morning on the 21st. So those next three to four hours in between asking for the epidural and then actually getting the epidural (laughs) were absolutely excruciating the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And it's so funny looking back on it now, because I remember that I was experiencing the worst pain I've ever felt in my life, but I can't, it like doesn't matter anymore because Mary Kate is here. And it's just the weirdest feeling. Like I, I, a lot of my friends who'd had babies, you know, say like the, like the birth amnesia is real. Like you forget how hard it is when you have your baby. And, I mean, it's absolutely true. I can tell you that I remember, like I know that it was the worst pain that I've ever felt and I would do it a million times over again to have MK here because it's just the love that you feel just outweighs everything else by leaps and bounds, which is just so interesting. But anyway, that's one of the things that I wish I would have (laughs) known as I was going through those really, tough couple of weeks as I was past my due date, you know, I remember thinking, why did I want to do this to myself? Like, I'm so miserable. Why would any, like, why would I choose to, like, have more kids or to keep doing this? Like, this is absolutely miserable. And then when you look back and you're holding your baby in your arms, it's just like, yeah, it just, it doesn't even matter. The Uncomfortableness, the pain, the struggle that you went through just seems like a distant like speck in the past compared to what you get to experience with your baby. And so I had multiple people tell me it you know, it's so worth it. It's all gonna be worth it. And I'm thinking to myself, it, <laughs> it better be <laughs> because I'm so absolutely miserable right now. So I think this is one of those things that you can't know it until you you experience it because it is true. It's absolutely true that all of that is just meaningless compared to what we get to experience now having Mary Kate here. But anyway, that overnight laboring process was absolutely excruciating. The worst pain that I've ever been through. It felt like my pelvis was going to break in half every contraction that I was having. Horrendous, truly. So by 7 a.m., the anesthesiologist showed up and I got a new nurse at that point and her name was Melanie and I was absolutely obsessed with her. She was the best possible person that I could have had be with me through my actual delivery. I'm just, I'm so pleased with the experience that I had with my doctor and with my nurses. And I feel very blessed to say that because I know so many people don't have that experience. So the anesthesiologist showed up at seven. I got the epidural. And I mean, at that point, it was extremely difficult to sit still through the administration of the epidural because I was in so much pain from the contractions. I had the shakes and I felt nauseous, like my entire body was quivering from the pain of those contractions. And... (laughs) So they kind of sit you up on the edge of the bed when they're about to give the epidural. And David had to leave the room because um, I think they they said it was like a sterilized procedure. So no one else could be in there besides the patient, the anesthesiologist, and the nurse. So they were getting me set up and situated. Because at that point, I'd been either like laying kind of reclined in the bed or they can like put the legs of the bed down to where it kind of makes like a little chair. So for the from maybe like three to five-ish, I was kind of sitting up in like a chair-like position going through contractions that way. So by that point, I had laid back down and they kind of brought me to like helped me move my legs over to the right side of the bed, put my legs down, and my nurse literally had to like put me in a headlock and like my forehead was against her, her chest and her arms were around me to, to keep me steady. So I wouldn't move when the anesthesiologist was administering the epidural and when he first, so they, they tell you, um, to kind of like put your chin to your chest and like round your back so that he can see your spine and where, you know, he needs to place it for it to be effective. So that's kind of how you're sitting with your legs over the bed and you're kind of like hunched or humped over. And when he went to mark his position, I jumped so violently and I will never forget him saying, you cannot do that. (laughs) And I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like I didn't, i like." My nerves were on high alert, and then I was like terrified for the rest of the process because I was like, "Oh God, if I move, he's like I'm gonna be paralyzed," or you know, all of those scary thoughts that you get. But he was fantastic; he did a great job. And I am telling you, the second that the epidural was in place, um, so it's a it's a line almost like an IV line that they place. And so it's constantly running with the medicine to continue numbing your like lower extremities, right? Look, I had never, I've literally never stayed in the hospital. I've never had a broken bone. I've never had like a medical procedure. I had no idea what the hell was going to be going on. So I did not know what an epidural was. I thought it was like a shot, (laughs) Which is, I know that's super ignorant, but again, I just had no experience with anything like this. So it's more like an IV line that is running continuously. Once that was placed, I literally just started laughing because it felt so good to be rid of the pain from those contractions. And Like, literally, I didn't feel them from that point on. And they have you hooked up to a monitor that measures the power of your contractions. So, like, we could look at the monitor. David and I could look at it and see how far spaced out they were, the strength of them. You know, and they continued to get more and more intense. And I did not feel them at all. It was amazing. I would not make any different decision at all because I'm telling you, I could not have lasted going through the pain of those contractions for any longer than I did. It was absolutely amazing to get that epidural. I had a group text with some of my friends (laughs) as we were going through labor, just to kind of keep them updated with the progress and how things were going. And I remember saying it was the best decision of my entire life to get an epidural (laughs) because... It just made the process, I mean, so much more bearable. So from that point, that was about at 7 a.m., you just kind of wait for labor to progress. So I got the epidural around 7, and then when my nurse came back in around 7.30 to check how dilated I was, I was about three centimeters dilated. <laughs> so the misopropatol did its job. It helped... Um it, you know, and I did all of this reading and looking up information about it after the fact. It did its job in helping me, you know, get dilated to that point. It's really not meant to be used past that point. It's just for the very early stages of labor and helping getting your, your cervix ripened. So it did its job getting me to about three centimeters dilated. And then after that point, it was it was time to start the Pitocin. So she actually, they do the cervix checks, which is, you know, the nurse reaches her hand up inside of you to see (laughs) how dilated you are. Those were absolutely, I mean, just extremely painful when like overnight before I'd gotten the epidural, like it literally made me sick to think of my nurse coming in to stick her hand up there while it was so sensitive and things, you know, contractions were happening. But I remember when, when the nurse came in after I'd already gotten the epidural, I saw her stick her hand in there and literally couldn't even feel it. I mean, it was amazing. It was am- Like, you could feel the pressure and, like, you could feel her hand in there. But, like, you didn't feel any pain of it. It it was wild. And it made me so happy. <laughs> so, um, when she checked me at around 730, I was about three centimeters dilated. And we went ahead and started Pitocin at 830. When she was checking my cervix, she could feel like another water bag or a four bag over the baby's head. And so she brought in another doctor to kind of just puncture that bag. And it was like another water breaking essentially to help labor progress. So that happened again, didn't feel a thing, didn't even feel water rushing out, didn't feel anything. And then At 8.30, we started Pitocin, and it was a very, very slow titration, and it was like using as little as possible to get the job done. So from that point, it was just kind of waiting for labor to progress. I was about 5 centimeters dilated by 11.30 a.m., and then it was progressing by basically like 1 centimeter per hour until I reached 7 to 8 centimeters And then dilation went a little quicker from that point. So I was 10 centimeters dilated by like 4 p.m. And that's when we started pushing. When she checked and I was at a 10, she said, okay, I'm going to get everything ready. I'm going to go page the doctor. It's going to be time to start pushing. And that's what we did. So with the pushing and the, the labor, I literally couldn't move or really feel my legs so um, how we were pushing I was on my back you know laying down um, and they brought the stirrups up so you know it was like the classic baby pushing position where you're laying on your back you have your legs and up in the stirrups and so my nurse was holding one of my legs up because that's how numb they were I couldn't hold my legs up in the stirrups and then David was on the other side of me holding my other leg and then helping hold my neck up too. So what they would have me do is every time it was time to push, take a big deep breath and kind of lean back. And then when it, to push, you kind of bared down and like pushed as if, you know, you were using the bathroom and kept that, that steady pressure on the push for like 10 seconds. And my nurse would count down, you know, like keep holding it and 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, And, you know, I was pushing for that time. And so that's what a push cycle looked like is you would take the deep breath. Um, and then you would push at the, the height of the contraction, which again, I didn't feel. So we were kind of looking at the monitor to know when a contraction was coming up, when it was going to be time to push and when it was time to rest it took from about 4 to 4:30 of uh, probably active pushing going through those cycles um and then taking you know a little bit of time to rest you know if she needed to run out and call the doctor or um get something ready for birth and things like that so by 4:30 everybody was in there my doctor was there and it was time to actually push the baby out <laughs> So it was the, you know, the same process of the cycles of pushing. And one thing that I was curious about with the epidural is, you know, how, how much feeling I would have for, like, how much I would feel the baby come out. Um, and you still definitely <laughs> feel everything. The pressure is super intense. So the epidural does not take away the experience of feeling Birth. It was still painful. It was still super intense. And honestly, I I can't comprehend doing it without the epidural. (laughs) It's just absolutely insane to me. And women are so strong. It's incredible. But anyway, so I remember pushing. I also, beforehand, this is one of the things that I wish I would have known. I remember being concerned um, about pooping during labor because that's something you hear about. And especially with being in that position. So like David was up by my head, so he couldn't see anything that was going on. And then it's not so much like you're actually going to like have a full on poop. It's, (laughs) it's, you're pushing so hard, a little bit of poop might might come out. And so honestly, I think that happened maybe a couple times and I I could feel her like wipe down there, but it was not like I pooped on the table. It was just with the intensity (laughs) of pushing, you know, some, a little bit might come out and it's literally completely unnoticeable. No one that you would care about is down there to see it. It was literally not a big deal at all. So don't worry about that if you are worried about that. <laughs> Sorry if that's TMI. But again, these are truly the things that I wish I would have known. <laughs> and I mean, you just lose all modesty by that point. I mean, there were multiple people coming in, setting up like the birthing table and, and lights and different things. And I was just sitting there with my feet up in the stirrups with my whole, with it all just uh, hanging out for the entire world to see and you I was so exhausted and ready for birth at that point that I mean you truly just don't care. So the final pushes you feel an extraordinary amount of pressure like on your pubic bone and I could feel feel their head move down past your bones and out and so I remember when she said, "Like she's crowning," I I can see her head. There, it took one more push from that point to get her head out, and then she said, "Her head's out." My doctor, her head's out. One one more push for her shoulders, and uh, I remember screaming, <laughs> pushing at that point, and it was just one more push, and and she pulled her out, and Mary Kate immediately started crying. And I, I remember the moment where my doctor said she's crowning and I remember thinking like, this is it. She's going to like go from, <sighs> sorry, I get so emotional every time I think about it, but it's, you know, the moment where she is born and it's like, she's been inside of me for nine months and in a matter of seconds, she's going to be out in the world And it's just amazing. It's the most amazing experience. So yeah, uh, that final push, she, you know, grabbed her. They pulled her out and she immediately started crying and they brought her to me and and immediately put her on my chest. And she, sweet little thing, you know, kind of lifted her head up and looked, looked right at me. And, you know, just kind of stopped crying after that, after she felt me and she was on my chest. And David and I just looked at each other and just, you know, marveled over her. And and the ultrasound tech was exactly right. She, she had hair. She had little chubby cheeks and long legs. Um, and she was 8 pounds, 7 ounces when she was born. And 21 inches. So she's long moderately sized baby. And again, size and length literally meant nothing to me. When I would see someone's birth announcement, I'd be like, why do I care about how long your baby was? But it makes sense now because it just kind of puts the size of the baby in context. So that's going to be something that I'm interested in seeing from other people now that, again, I did not care about at all until I was a mom, until... (laughs) until I birthed my own baby. So that is her birth story. That is how she was born. And then the, you know, the next hours after that are just spent getting used to the new reality of having your baby there. And, you know, nurses continue to come in and out. The baby nurse came in and, you know, weighed her and did her little footprints. And so that was fun if you're breastfeeding, they teach you how to latch and make sure that that is all happening. And really it's just a lot of snuggle time with your baby on your chest and and just again, yeah, soaking the reality, soaking in the reality of being a mom. So, from that point, David and I both thought we were going to be able to stay in the labor and delivery room But they move you to a different unit that night. So like the postpartum recovery unit. So we went there and I almost cried leaving my labor and delivery nurse. I just, I loved her so much and she was so good at what she did. Um, She told me she'd been a nurse at that hospital in the labor and delivery unit for 30 years. So I just felt so lucky to have her with me and have her expertise. And my friend, Molly, who is a labor and delivery nurse, I texted her after and I was, I just said, you know, I'm so thankful for my nurses and I just bet all of the moms who are with you literally miss you when they're gone because I, I still miss my nurses. (laughs) You know, it's an experience that they get to walk you through that is I mean, just absolutely life-changing and I, I will just literally never forget them. So anyway, once we've left that unit and we're on the postpartum recovery unit, obviously you get new nurses and they just come in and check and make sure that your bleeding isn't anything to be, you know, doesn't need any intervention. One thing that happened that I had no idea this could happen again Oh, and I forgot to mention when you get the epidural, you get a catheter as well for urine drainage. So, you know, once they remove the epidural, they, and and they remove the catheter during birth as well, but you may not be able to use the bathroom regularly for, you know, a few hours or half a day um, until your urethra is less swollen due to the catheter being in there. So, you know, they came to check and they'll help you use the bathroom after labor for the first time. And I couldn't pee. Um, And, you know, I felt the sensation, the tingly sensation, and it just wasn't happening. And I remember that it made me so scared. (laughs) And I, I didn't know that that was just kind of a normal side effect. You know, my nurse was just saying, we'll have to check you. And if it reaches, you know, this certain hour mark, then you're going to have to have another catheter put in to drain the urine from this point. And I was just so scared that I was going to have to have, like, a permanent catheter um, and that my body would never, like, regain the function to pee. And so I remember, like, sobbing, crying when these two sweet ladies came in to do my catheter that evening. And they were like are you okay? Like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I was like, I just want my body to work. I'm so tired of having things in my vagina. <laughs> oh, and they were like, yeah, there's a lot of hormones and things happening after birth. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, everyone was really nice. Um, and after that, you know, last initial <laughs> catheter had to be placed, by like 5 a.m. the next morning, I was able to use the bathroom and that made me feel a lot better. So know that that's completely normal if you get an epidural and, uh, you know, you're gonna, your body is gonna feel like it got hit by a truck for a couple of days. It was really interesting to go through that type of recovery because again, I've, I literally have never even had surgery. I've never been under anesthesia. I've like, I've never had to recover from an event like that. So it was just wild to kind of experience my body in that way, feeling so, 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 so delicate. You know, where it's it's hard to stand, it's hard to sit, it's hard to do basic functions, you know, because everything is just so tender. But It does get so much better. And honestly, the nurses and everybody has everything that you need for postpartum recovery. They will walk you through it. They will help you clean and, you know, make it feel better and make you feel comfortable. So don't be stressed about that at all. I had no idea what I was doing and they, everyone helped me, helped me a lot. We've literally, even for Mary Kate's first diaper change, we called the nurse to come in <laughs> because we were like, Oh shit. I have like, I haven't changed a baby's diaper. I don't literally, I don't know if I'd ever changed a baby's diaper in my life, which I'm a 30 year old woman. Like how crazy is that? I'm sure that I had at some point, but you know, not in recent memory. I didn't even, I don't think I even changed any one of my nieces diapers. Like it's just uh, not my thing. I'm j- not a baby person but now I am. <laughs> so you learn really quick and don't be afraid to ask for help, even for something as elementary and ridiculous as changing your baby's diaper because they're there to help. And, you know, I was like, I just want to, I didn't say we don't know how to change our baby's diaper. <laughs> I said, you know, this is our first diaper change. I just want to make sure everything looks okay. As in, you know, one of them to check what was in her diaper. But no, actually, we just needed them to teach us how to change a diaper. <laughs> so that's her birth and kind of our experience at the hospital. Um, we were there for, for 24 hours after her birth. Um, they require the infant to stay that long for monitoring. So 24 hours is the, the smallest amount of time that you can be there. And we left right after that. And brought her home and and the rest is history. She's ours forever now. So I hope that this gave some insight into the process and what that looks like. And if you have a similar experience or um, you have any questions or feel like you could use my insight in any way. um, I know when I was going through pregnancy um, and especially the later Weeks when I was past my due date, I was just looking for anybody with an experience that was similar to mine, so that I I could feel normal and so I could feel like my body wasn't broken. <laughs> so if I can help you in any way, please feel free to message me or reach out. I would love to chat with you about it. So this is her birth story episode. I'm going to be talking, I think you know, a lot more about. Things in postpartum, postpartum recovery, and and what that looks like. But I hope that, again, this episode was just able to lend some insight into (laughs) what the process actually looks like. If you've never had any experience with stuff like this, because I hadn't, and it was so many new experiences all at once. So if you feel so inclined, please leave a review for the show. That helps me out so much. And I'll be back next time with a new episode. I have some really great guests lined up for future episodes, um, some really great topics picked out. So I'm really happy to be back and I'm so glad you're here. But wait, (laughs) before you go, I'd love it if you'd share this episode with a friend who needs it. And to make sure we stay connected, find me on social media at hopewell underscore health or for more information about my nutrition coaching services check out my website hopewellhealth.online and always remember you are smart capable and talented you have what it takes i'm just here to educate and encourage you along the way catch you next time